Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. It says this, John 14, verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He might might abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. In this statement, Jesus is telling them that he's not going to leave them alone. In fact, he's promising that even though he's going, he's not going to leave the disciples alone, but that he's going to send a helper, a helper that they they already knew in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, you want to note some key words, some important prepositions that Jesus uses, is, uses this, there you go, uses, you can tell I preached already this morning, in verse 17, in regard to the Spirit. If you like to mark your Bibles, you'll want to underline two specific words in verse 17. The word with, when he says, for he dwells with you, underline with, and the word in, because he says he'll be in you, with and in. Now, he specifically tells them that the Spirit, who already dwells with them through their belief, will form a new relationship in which he will be in them. Now, in the Greek, the preposition with is the word para. And it defines a relationship with the disciples that they already knew. They knew the Spirit had been with them as He had been with all of God's people throughout the ages. They knew that He'd always been there revealing God to men and women and leading them to God. They knew also that He'd been there revealing God's will and empowering men and women to do God's will. But then Jesus adds something new, a a second preposition that defined a different kind of relationship with the Spirit, which they did not yet fully understand or appreciate, a relationship of the Spirit reflected by Jesus' use of the the word in. In It's the Greek preposition en. And en literally translates as in in the English, and, and thus here Jesus uses it to reflect the relation of the Spirit in them. The idea being that he will literally take up residence and dwell within them. Another way we would say it is tabernacle with them, to dwell within. And you see, this was something new to the disciples. Because although they knew of the Spirit's relationship with them, they didn't fully comprehend the idea of the Spirit taking up residence in them, at least not in the permanent sense with which Jesus is speaking here. They knew of the Spirit empowering the great men and women of God through the Old Testament age, but Jesus was referring to something far more, a permanent residency of the Spirit in them. You know, up until this point, God would give the Spirit in measure for specific purposes, for specific things, for a specific period of time to men and women in the Old Testament, but but not in this sense of literal dwelling continually. Oh, there were some exceptions to that. Maybe David. But by and large, this was not an understood concept. And this is the relationship that disciples did come to enjoy when the event that John 20, 22 describes took place when Jesus met with them after his resurrection. 
John chapter 20 and verse 22 tells us this. This is after his resurrection. It says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. In that very moment, his disciples, who had clearly placed their faith in him, received his spirit within them, permanently sealed by him as he took up residence in each and every one of their lives. And then having given birth to them like this, giving them his spirit like this, Jesus went on to promise them one more relationship with the spirit, a relationship he spoke to them before about departing the earth after his physical resurrection as recorded in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. Here's what Luke 24 and verse 49 says. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. The the promise of the Father, which Jesus is speaking of here, was a clear reference to the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is telling them is that shortly the Spirit that they already had with them and who is now dwelling in them would soon come upon them. The Greek preposition being the word epi, which literally means to come upon or to come over. An even better way of saying it would be to overflow. And that is exactly what Jesus is describing to them, a relationship with the Holy Spirit whereby he would overflow them. Now turn with you will, if you will, to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Go to Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He says to them, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon. If you want to underline, underline upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that outpouring, that overflowing, that upon experience, that upon relationship that he promised to them did take place on the day of Pentecost, just as we have recorded then in Acts chapter 2. You can skip down to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And it says in verse 1 there of Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now again, keep in mind, prior to that day, the Spirit had had been with them, and he had been in them. But on that day, he entered into a new relationship with them, whereby he came upon them, completely overflowing them with an empowerment that they had never known or even experienced in the same way before. I mean, just think about Peter. I mean, think about Peter before Pentecost and after this relationship was established on the day of Pentecost, and and you'll clearly see what happened through this new relationship. I mean, Peter, who had not long before this day come sheep, he had denied Jesus, you know, he's sitting around the fire during Jesus's trial, and they're asking him, "You, you were with him, and what does Peter say? I don't, I don't know the man. And again, yeah, you know, you were with him. Now, I don't know the man. Ask him again. You were with Jesus. No, I, he curses. He doesn't know him. He denies him. Three times Peter denies him. And then after doing this, he, he's found crying in an alley knowing he betrayed Jesus, that he denied him. 
Then even after Jesus' resurrection, where does Peter go? He goes back, tries to go back to his old life, to go back to fishing, right? No confidence, no confidence in his, in his walk with Christ, no confidence in any of this. Certainly not the Peter we're about to see. He goes back to fishing. Of course, Jesus confronts him again, confronts him on the beach. Peter, do you love me? Well, you know, I like you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Well, Lord, you know, I like you. Peter, do you, do you like me? Yes, I like you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. Same Peter. Then he's found in the upper room. And, and I'm not saying that they weren't gathered waiting as Jesus had called them to, but there's a sense that, that there's a, a trepidation going on there. There's a, 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 almost a fear. And though the word doesn't use that, I want to be careful about saying that. But yes, there's this sense that they had kind of withdrawn. And here's Peter in that upper room with him. But then comes Pentecost. And then comes this upon relationship with the Spirit. And on this day, when the Spirit came upon him, Peter stands up and he preaches one of the most powerfully recorded messages in all of Scripture, a message so profound that 3,000 people are saved. Is it because Peter was an eloquent speaker? No. It's because the Spirit was upon him in that moment. So here we see the three relationships that the Spirit seeks to have with us as Jesus clearly speaks of it. He tells us in his word, the with, the in, and the upon. But having looked at what Jesus said about these relationships, let's look now at what Jesus demonstrates for us in his own life personally. You see, not only does Jesus tell us about these relationships, but as with every spiritual truth, Jesus models it for us in his own life. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus, as the Son of God, as God himself, none of us can say that the Holy Spirit wasn't with Jesus. Of course he was with Jesus. And, and we know that Jesus, as Son of God, God in the flesh, that the Holy Spirit was in Jesus, literally dwelling in him from the moment of his birth, even before his birth, right? The Spirit was in Jesus. But now here on this day of his physical baptism, as recorded in the Gospels, we see the Spirit coming upon Jesus, just as the Spirit would come upon the disciples at Pentecost. And, and, and he's seen literally descending on him, just as the tongues of fire are seen upon the disciples at Pentecost, literally descending, alighting upon him, and confirming him and empowering him for the ministry he had before him. See, Jesus not only spoke of the three relationships that the Spirit wants to have with believers, but he modeled all three relationships for us in his own earthly life. And these are the relationships that the Spirit wants to have with all of us, with you. If you're a believer, if you place your faith in Jesus, these are the relationships he wants to have. First, the Holy Spirit is with us. He, he's with us because if he wasn't, we would never find or fully understand the truth about Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit's presence with us that convicted us of our sins in the first place and then led us to the solution to our sinful dilemma. I mean, without the Spirit's presence with us, we would never have grasped the spiritual truths necessary to find salvation as spiritual things would have been meaningless to us. But it's the Spirit who was always there. Actively making us aware of sin. Actively making us aware of our need for a Savior to free us from our sin. Actively pointing us to Jesus Christ. Actively trying to get us to see the truth about Jesus and to accept Him. You know, I 
think back, and I don't want to elaborate much this morning, but I think back and I've shared many times about my own life. As a kid growing up, I said last week or the week before, if you're a parent, I would have been your perfect child. I wouldn't have argued about going to church. I wouldn't have complained about doing right things. You wouldn't have had to worry about me when I got to high school doing things I shouldn't do. You shouldn't, you wouldn't have had to worry. That's who I was. And you know what? I thought I was good with God because of all the things that I was doing. That as long as I did more good than bad, it was going to outweigh. And, and that made me okay with God. But down inside, as I grew, there was a gnawing going on in my, in my spirit, going on in me that said, it isn't enough. What you're doing is not enough. What you're doing, all the good works, they're great. They're not enough. They're not going to save you. That gnawing, that convicting that was taking place, that was leading me to the truth of who Jesus is, why he came and died, because one day I opened my Bible and people began to share the Bible with me, began to share Christ with me, began to share the story of redemption with me, and I began to clearly understand that if I could do enough to be saved, then Jesus never would have had to come. Why would I need a Redeemer? But I began to see in the Scriptures that I needed a Redeemer, that I could not redeem myself. Now, here's my point. Where did that come from? Where did that understanding begin? What started the gnawing in my spirit that caused me to realize it's not enough? It was the with relationship of the Spirit who was with me. He's with you. If you're in faith in Christ today, you're in Christ today, because somewhere along the line, the Holy Spirit began to convict you of sin began to make you realize who you were in light of who God is. Made you aware that he existed even. Got you to take that look. And even after salvation, the Spirit continues to be with us as he leads us and he continues to convict us of sin. Ouch, that day-to-day kind of sinful stuff that we can still find ourselves in our flesh walking in at times. Ooh, man, he convicts us of that. And he keeps us focused on our relationship with Jesus, you see. So he's with us. We have that first relationship. And then when you accepted the truth that, that the Spirit was revealing to you, placing your faith in Christ, the Spirit then in that moment took up residence in you. In that moment of time when you knelt, stood wherever you were, and you recognized who Jesus was and why you needed him, and you cried out, Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, I place my faith in you. I believe you to be true. I believe what you've done for me is sufficient. In that moment of time, Jesus breathed his spirit into your life, just like he breathed him into the lives of his disciples. And he began a process of work inside of you that Scripture refers to as regeneration and renewal. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, describes this work of the spirit in us. And Paul, or Titus, in, in Titus, it tells us in chapter three, beginning in verse three, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, suffering, or serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, it isn't a matter of scales, right? Which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing, now listen, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly. 
through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, Scripture is clear. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit in you. He's dwelling in you, and He's changing you from the inside out. He's renewing your heart. He's renewing your mind, and He's transforming you into the very image of your Savior and Lord in whom you've placed your faith. And as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22 and Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and Ephesians 4.30, he's dwelling in you as the proof of your salvation, serving as God's seal upon your life, authenticating the fact that you now belong to God. In fact, apart from the Spirit being in you, Scripture says that you're not really saved. (laughs) Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, Romans 8, verse 9, but you are, not in, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Boom. That puts to sleep the notion that there comes salvation, not really until we have the Spirit in some second or experience after we place faith in Christ. No. It happens the moment we put our faith in Christ, and you have the Spirit in you from that very moment you placed your faith in Christ. All of His Spirit has been given to you in that moment, the fullness of His Spirit. You're filled from top to bottom with the Spirit in that moment. And yet Scripture also is clear that there is a third relationship that the Holy Spirit wants to have with us if we're going to live and serve in the fullness by which God intends for us to serve and live, just as Jesus demonstrated for us here in baptism, just as the Spirit was with Jesus and in Jesus, Jesus also submitted to the Spirit being poured out upon him. And that's what's happening here in our text. First, he submitted to baptism with water, but then he submitted to the baptism of the Spirit. Why? Because he was now being anointed and empowered for ministry. And as we're going to see shortly, the very next thing is that Jesus will be led front by the Spirit from this moment on. And that, my friends, is the primary purpose of this third relationship that the Spirit desires to have with us. It's about being anointed. It's about being empowered for ministry and service. It's God's enablement for the work that he's called you and me to do as his servants and to empower us to live in such a dynamic way that our very lives testify of his power that's resident in us. Now think about it. Isn't that what happened with the disciples? Although they had the Spirit with them and living in them prior to Pentecost, they were still unprepared for the ministry that Jesus had for them. They were living with an inward focus, even holding up out of public view in an upper room. But God wanted to turn their focus outward, to to move upon them in such a way that now they could begin moving forward. And at Pentecost, when the Spirit came upon them, they exploded spiritually. They suddenly and powerfully emerged out of hiding, and they hit the streets like that, whatever it was that hit my backyard a couple of weeks ago, and blew those trees over. (laughs) Just exploded in a matter of minutes. And then that's what it's like instantaneously. They became powerfully bold witnesses for Jesus. And in fact, out of this explosive empowerment, the church was born. You see, this upon relationship that the Spirit wants to have with us is a baptism that ultimately has to do with the externally manifesting the powerful things that have happened to us within. It's about anointing and empowering us for the Christian life and service, and it's an anointing and an empowerment we need in our lives. 
we desperately need. Now, I know that some Christians are uncomfortable with the terminology. They, they don't like the term baptism in the Spirit, in large part because of the unscriptural nature of things that they've seen associated with that term in Christianity today, the spiritually crazy kind of stuff that gets attributed to it. So listen, I'm just going to say this. Call it what you want. Call it the outpouring of the Spirit. Call it the overflowing of the Spirit. Call it the fullness of the Spirit. Calling the filling of the Spirit. Call it what you like, but call on God for it because it is absolutely scriptural and you need it if you're a believer. And as far as the argument of whether or not this is a second experience or not, I, I would suggest to you that Scripture is not definitive on this issue, and, and so we don't need to be dogmatic about it. Granted, there is evidence in the Scriptures that point to this relationship being the result of a second experience, something that occurs after salvation, and yet there are also cases where it seems to coincide with salvation. Folks, sequence is not the issue. Sequence is not the issue yieldedness to it is the issue. For some people, they're, they're yielded so fully at the moment of salvation that it all happens at the same time. For others, it happens as they grow in the relationship with Jesus and they begin to want more of what he has for them, yielding more and more of their life to him. You know, in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, we're given an account of Peter and John coming down to Samaria and meeting a group of believers who, who be, it became clear to them that even though they'd been baptized, that they had not experienced the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Here's what it tells us, Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, clearly, this is not John's baptism, which would have meant this was before salvation. This was clearly a baptism in Jesus, which meant that they knew they were saved. They knew Jesus. But then it says in verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. What was all about? You know, what, what, what was it about these folks that Peter and John saw that revealed to them that, that something was missing, that this dynamic with the Spirit didn't yet exist? Well, I don't know. We don't know because the passage doesn't tell us, but something was clearly missing in their spiritual lives, and Peter and John saw it, and they knew right away what it was. And as believers, they knew that the Spirit was with these believers and that it were, he was in these believers, but that the Spirit had not yet come upon them. And so they laid their hands on them and they prayed for this important relationship to be formed in their lives. Now, look, I am convinced that this same dynamic is missing in the lives of many Christians today. They know the presence of the Spirit with them. They, they know the presence of the Spirit in them but they have never experienced his presence coming upon them and overflowing them with power for their lives in service to Christ. Many are living their relationship with Christ with half-hearted and complacent commitment. They lack the joy and excitement that comes with a spirit-filled walk with Jesus Christ. They lack the motivation and desire and empowerment for ministry and service. 
They spend more time living spiritually defeated lives than, than enjoying spiritually victorious lives. They have the Spirit with them. They have the Spirit in them. But they just don't have the Spirit overflowing them. Maybe you're sitting there with some conviction this morning because maybe this is describing you. But it doesn't need to. It doesn't need to because the Holy Spirit is availing himself to you in all three of these important relationships. As a believer, you can know with certainty that the Spirit is both with you and in you, but he also wants to come upon you. And he will if you'll receive this relationship with him. And it's not a relationship that's complicated or hard to obtain. There's no special formula to, 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 to receive it. You know, I, I grew up in circles of Christianity where, where you were told that you had to wait. You had to wait. You had to go to the altar and you had to wait a couple of hours. You had to wait. You had to wait a set period of time. You had to wait. You had to show some sincerity. You had to do certain things. You had to do all. No, no, listen. In fact, Scripture tells us that God is willing to give us this relationship with His Spirit if we'll simply ask Him by faith for it. Just like we ask by faith for Christ to, to save us. It's the same idea as Jesus so plainly tells us in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 9 through verse 10. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.